banners for Advent. And you notice we started off the first week with hope, and then the second week we come to peace. And as I was uh, looking for a passage to speak about peace that fit with the Advent theme, I came across this one in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And it's, it's not one that's often used for Advent because this passage is actually uh, often used when it comes to uh, Palm Sunday and, and the entrance of Jesus. And, uh, but it, it works well. Uh, for this time, as we think about peace, uh, the coming peace that the king, the promised one, brings to us. And so, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, and if you are physically able, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this, um, this marvelous messianic passage where the coming of a king of, in the line of David, a king that is like no other, a king that will be the Messiah, is prophesied. And Lord, as we look forward to the second coming, Father, we look back to how believers in Old Testament days Look forward to that first coming of Jesus. And we relate and we understand the hope and the peace that are given through this faith and this trust. Lord, may we be renewed in our spirits. Father, may we celebrate Christmas as it truly is. Not all the commercial stuff that the world wants us to focus on, but simply on Jesus. God, we pray and we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. As Christians, we are hopefully reminded each year to remember the reason for the season. Hopefully, we are told, hey, don't just celebrate the lights and the presence, but celebrate Jesus and his presence here on earth. Why should we do that, though? What is it about Jesus that we can celebrate. Well, that's an, uh, that's an infinite topic. We could go on forever of all the reasons we could celebrate Jesus, but these two verses give us some wonderful, wonderful reasons to celebrate Jesus as king. And so I want us to kind of dive in and look at these, this passage, these two short verses, and see what is so great about Jesus, why we should celebrate him as king. The first reason I see is that we celebrate Jesus as king because he is a personal king. He's a personal king. You know, we think about Jesus, and of course, he's not only a uh, king, but he is the son of God. He is divine. And it's so different from the way that God in the Bible shows himself to interact with humankind is, is so different than the norm. You know, you look at the ancient 
ideas of gods and goddesses that the Greeks and the Romans had. And, and those kings and those gods uh, in, in that pantheon, they were, they were rather fickle. They were, uh, they were down, they had lots more powers than human beings, but you know, they, they were just as, as angry and as, and as prone to wrongdoing. They were selfish, they were self-centered, and, and they really didn't care about those who were regular people. And if we look to other religions, um, you know, modern day, there's often ideas of, of a God who is out there, who he's out there and, and he's, he's just kind of distant from us and, and he's far away, far removed from our problems. If you were to talk um, to an Islamic scholar about their faith, you would learn that their concept of God is, is one who does not really feel things the way we feel things. But the God of the Bible is a different God. He is a God who not only created us and is all-powerful and, and righteous, different from us, but he cares about us deeply. He is the God who looked at the sisters Mary and Martha, and he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, has such a powerful meaning. Because he wept over his friend Lazarus. And he wept at the suffering that Mary and Martha went through. He's a God who is deeply personal. Even in the Old Testament, that idea of a personal God was already there. Uh, we see that, that God is relating to the people of Israel in a personal way. He says, daughters of Zion, daughters of Jerusalem, rejoice, shout. He, he looked at his people in terms of his children. So often we see that phrase in the Old Testament, the children of Israel. I remember one, a story about a kid who one time heard all these stories about the children of Israel and all the things they did wrong and how they were getting punished. And he said, you know, didn't the adults ever take any responsibility? You know, why is it the children of Israel always getting punished? Well, God has related to us in a personal, close family relationship. But that even went to a whole other level when it comes to the New Testament. Because Jesus came uh, as God's son on earth to us. And one day his family came up and, and somebody comes to him and they were trying to get through the crowds. And they said, Jesus, uh, your, your, your mother and your brother and your sisters, they're all outside waiting for you. And he says, you know who my mother and my brother and my sisters are? They're those who do the will of God. And in, as the uh, author of Hebrews tells us, he is not ashamed to be called our brother. We have been brought into the kingdom of God, into the family of God in a very personal way. So when we celebrate Christmas, even though the Bible says, for my ways are as high or higher than the heavens are above the earth. Like, yes, God's ways are so much higher than ours. And yet he chooses to come to our level. Like an adult who cares enough for a little child to say, to get right down on their level and look them in the eye and, and really feel for them, our God chose to come to this earth. That's the incarnation, that he would be one of us, that he'd be personally connected to us. And so 
Not like some king or even emperor in the ancient days who we might know of in some distant way, but be completely unconnected from. We have a relationship. We have a king. We have a Messiah that we can celebrate because he is personal. Secondly, we can celebrate him because he is powerful. Not only is he personal, that he loves us and cares for us, but he is a powerful king. He is a powerful God. You know, he says, he he demonstrates his power. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. He is an overcoming and and a victorious God. But beyond that, he says, I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. Notice the power of his word. You know, he simply says, I'm, I'm going to break all the weapons. There won't be any war horses anymore. It'll just be horses for fun, just for riding and, and for gardening and farming. But there won't be any war horses anymore. He says, the bows, I'm going to break them. We know that other prophets tell us that he's going to take those swords and he's going to turn them uh, into farm implements. They'll be used for plowing instead of fighting. But notice how he simply proclaims peace to the nation. Or some versions say he speaks peace to the nation. All he has to do is speak the words, and it's done. Now, uh, we nowadays have some gadgets and gizmos that can kind of make us feel a little bit powerful. I mean, I don't know if any of y'all kind of, you know, really enjoy this, but you can boss Alexa, and you can boss Siri, and you can tell them what to do, and, um, you know, occasionally they'll come back with a snarky response, but usually they'll do, if they understand you, they'll do what you tell them to do. Just the power of your voice makes it happen. And, you know, kings were known for that. They understood that the power in the ancient days, the power of a king's word, his word was life or death. His, the things he spoke mattered deeply. And the Bible portrays the words of God and especially the words of Jesus himself as all power. All he has to do is just speak the words. Remember that time they were out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was taking a nice little nap. Don't you love that Jesus took naps, okay? So any of you judgmental people who are against naps, Jesus took naps. Just want you to know that. I like Jesus took naps because they're good every once in a while. But Jesus took a nap right there on the boat, and, and the wind started kicking up, and the waves started kicking up, and the storm, and they got nervous. And they go down, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, Master, we're going to drown. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And he gets up, and You know, they've already acknowledged him as master, teacher, Lord, but yet they still haven't really got it. And he comes up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, peace, be still. And the Bible says that the disciples were astonished. And they talked among them, kind of backed off like they were a little bit afraid of Jesus at that point. And they said, who is this that commands the winds and the waves? 
I'll tell you exactly who he is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of this universe, and therefore he is its master. And so he is over and above all things. There was even a, uh, one, one person, though, that wasn't really surprised at Jesus' power, and he wasn't even a Jew. He was a, a dirty old Roman soldier, one of those oppressors. And yet, even though the people of Israelite, Israel would have seen him as an ungodly person, he came to Jesus when he had a need. One of his servants was sick. And he came to Jesus and he said, please, Lord, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'll go right with you right away. And the centurion said, oh, no, Lord, you don't need to come. You don't need to go to my house. I don't deserve to have you at my house, but simply speak the word. He said, I'm a man of authority and also under authority. And I know how it works. When you have true power, all you have to do is speak the word. And so Jesus simply speak the word and it will happen. And the Bible says Jesus marveled at this man and his response. And he said to the crowd, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Because this man understood the power and authority of Jesus. He simply had to speak. And the Bible tells us that through the words that, that creation was spoken into existence. You see, the power of God's word it is all power. God's word has all authority. And so we get that famous Bible verse about God's word being sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide spirit and marrow, that it, can, that it can do, it can pierce the deepest darkness. It can separate what otherwise could not be. And then the apostle John comes along as he writes the last gospel, and he kind of puts it all together neatly. Because where Luke and Matthew talk to us about baby Jesus and, and the gospel of Mark so excited to get going, he kind of skips over that and goes straight to the early ministry of Jesus. John says, I'm going to take it all the way back. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And by identifying Jesus as the word of God, he, he gets us a little bit deeper theologically. And he says, Jesus is not only the son of God, but he is the power and authority of God. And he is eternal and has existed always and forever with God the Father and God the Spirit. So this king that we celebrate is personal. He is powerful. And then he is peaceful. Why is that something to celebrate? Well, look around at the world, at the people and nations that are powerful and ask how peaceful they are. We live in a world filled with tyrants. We, we live in a world filled with dictators. And, and, and those, those change from time to time, the names and the places. Right now, look at China, folks. Look at what happens when all of a sudden, if we can't get some things from them that we used to could get. Look at what they're doing in the world economy and look at what they're doing militarily. Look at how they're flexing. They're growing in power. And are they using that power to say, oh, we want to bless all the nations of the earth? Absolutely not. 
And that's not the nature of fallen human sinful nature. Apart from God, those who become powerful almost inevitably use that power for their own selfish reasons, to stroke their own ego, to build themselves up. But here we have a king that we have found is not only personal and all-powerful, and yet he is peaceful. One of the the most famous names from the messianic teachings of Isaiah that titles for Jesus is Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He chooses peace. He chooses to speak peace to the nations. He chooses to say there is a time coming when I will end all war. There is a time coming where there will be no more needs for the weapons of war. Now, we know that time has not come yet, but it has already been spoken into, into being, and it is going to happen just like everything else that God speaks. It's just a matter of time, his timing. But he is a God of peace. What a contrast these verses give when they say, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. And when you stop at that moment right there, everyone in the ancient world would have seen a king who was dressed in the finest of fabrics and golds. And they would have been, a victorious king would have been on a mighty war horse. But instead, he came on a lowly donkey. The Bible tells us that it was an unbroken donkey, one that had never before been ridden. Well, I, I'm not uh, much of a large animal guy. I'll be honest. My, my grandfather was a farmer, and every time I went in that pasture, those cows scared me. I mean, they scared me so bad. And I only risked it because I needed to get to the pond to go fishing. But I would try to wait till those cows were on the back 40 when they were as far away as they could. So I've never been good around large animals. But, you know, I, I like to... Uh, I like to check with our resident ag expert, Alan Leonard. Whenever I come, when I have an animal question, I said, tell me about the, the difference between breaking a horse and, and, and breaking a donkey. And he said, well, donkeys have a long memory. <laughs> and they, they know what you've done. And, what you, and so you try to break them hard, they're like, well, that's, uh, I'll show you what's what. That's, uh, that's why we have a a not nice name we substitute for people who act like donkeys and they're stubborn, okay? Because you don't just jump on a donkey and show it who's boss. It'll show you who's boss. But you know that donkey that Jesus stepped on the day of his triumphal entry? That, that donkey knew what was up. He knew this is my master, my Lord, my creator. And even though he'd never been trained, he'd never been ridden on before, he, as as part of creation, witnessed to the glory of the king, a king who was victorious and yet humble and gentle, riding in on a donkey. One of the most famous verses in the announcement of Jesus' birth comes... From the angels who appear to shepherds. And they shout out those famous words. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Now we know that a final and complete 
external peace, that is a ceasing of all wars and outward strife, that that will not come until Jesus' second coming. But in his first coming, he established the greatest peace, and that is an inner peace, a peace with God. And so the Bible tells us that he himself is our peace, that through Jesus we have peace with God. And while I would always encourage you to be part of being a peaceful neighbor, being a peaceful employer or employee, being a peaceful person to all those around you, the first and most important thing that we must do to be an inwardly peaceful person is that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we believe that he did condescend. He came from glory. He left it. He humbled himself. He was born in a manger, in a poor and lowly place. And he grew, and he lived, and he died for you and I, that we might have peace with God, that is eternal life through him. My, what reasons we have to celebrate the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us in so many ways. But Lord, the highest and the greatest gift you ever gave was to give your Son, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And while we can look around and learn that much is wrong with this world, God, we know that you are on the throne. And we know that there is coming a day that you will come again. Just as you fulfilled the first half of the prophecies, God, you'll fulfill the others when you come again to bring us into yourselves. And so until that day, God, may you find us faithful, serving, loving, and celebrating you and what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray and ask these things in his precious name. Amen.